We'll open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We're continuing in the summer series. And our topic is Christian liberty. Or you could also use the term Christian freedom. Freedom that is found in God's Son. And we we said the the whole theme of the, the book of Galatians is the the gospel of justification by faith defended against law works. And, and it really is the, the charter of, of Christian liberty, of Christian freedom. If you want to understand Christian liberty, you're not going to do that apart from the, the book of Galatians, which, which makes perfect sense because justification and freedom go together. Um, the law condemns the sinner... And it binds the conscience of a believer. And so without grasping justification by faith alone, like that's how you come to God, is God justifies you by, by faith, by looking and believing, trusting in the promise that God makes. A person who attempts to come to God by, by the works of the law just ends up with more guilt, no freedom, more, more bondage, more, more guilt. And a Christian who fails to rest in their justification Christian, somebody who has already been justified by faith, someone who fails to rest in that justification, they can attempt to add the law and other externals and it'll actually trip them up in their sanctification, which is exactly what's going on in the, in the book of Galatians. In fact, the Bible tells us that our spiritual worship under the new covenant, that's, that is since Christ has come, not under the Mosaic law, Mosaic covenant, but under the new covenant, our spiritual worship now is offering our whole self to God, not, not keeping law works or rituals or, or other, other things. And you know this passage very well. It's, it's coming in the book of Romans. A long time from now, but it's coming. It's chapter 12 in the book of Romans. You present your, your bodies as a living sacrifice, not, not dead animals, but, but living you. And when you do that, it's a... It's set apart unto the Lord. You're, you set yourself apart unto the Lord to live for, for, for him, and that is your spiritual service of, of worship. How do we worship the Lord now? We don't go to the temple. We don't keep feasts or days or others. We offer ourselves to God every day from the, the rising of the sun to the setting of the, of the same. The name of the Lord shall be praised, and I want to live in a way that will that will bring honor and glory to him. Love implanted in your heart now moves us instinctively to do what the, what the law demands and what the, what the law defines. And we started uh, looking in this third and final section of Galatians where Paul provides this definition and purpose of, of our freedom. And he started by saying, it's part of your salvation. You have been called to freedom. Those are, those are salvation words, the calling of, of God, the effectual calling of, of God, the general call of the gospel to all people, all creatures, look unto me and be saved. There's a general call that God commands. That's what we do. We proclaim the gospel to everyone. And then there is an effectual call, a call of God that that actually draws people to, to Christ. And he starts with that language, which Galatians 5.13-6.10 defines as, as this life in the Spirit, the law written on your heart, and the Spirit then empowering you to, to, to keep it. And I don't know your, your past, your experience as, a, as how you came to Christ. For me, it was, it was pagan living, and so it's a... It was a, a transformation. You may have been raised in the church, and, and you may have come to the point where you, 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 you're, you're playing football. You realize this is the way, these are the rules of the game, but, but there, there came a moment when the lights came on, turned on, and, and you realize the, the, real, the real purpose of it all. Uh, I remember, I think it was Nathan Williams describing... Uh, his moment, whenever that happened, he said it was like playing football in a dome, and, and, and you're you're doing the same things. You're you're running the plays. You're on the field. There's yard lines. There's ceilings. There's a uh, ceiling. There's there's stands. You think though the top of the dome is the ceiling. That's how big God is. Like this is what it's all about. 
And then all of a sudden, somebody opens the dome. And you realize that's not the end. It's in the infinite God that, that you serve. So you know what it, what it looks like if you're raised in the church. And then somewhere along the, the way, the Spirit of God turns the, the light on. And you realize that, that it's about loving God. It's about relating to, to, to Him. It's the, the, the desires, His desires, now written on your heart by, by the Spirit. And a believer has, uh, has been released from an external law code, all the stuff in, of, of Moses, in order that, now transformed, through love we might bind ourselves in service to, to one another, people in the, in the church. And so freedom in God's Son and freedom from the Mosaic Law is what allows a believer to actually fulfill the true intent of the, of the law. As Christians, we are not free from law. We are free to fulfill it. And we now desire to, which is what Paul will explain to us tonight. You are freed by God in order to be bound bound to others, specifically those who are in covenant with you at, at church. That's, that's the one another. So let's read, and then we'll, we'll jump in. This would be 513. We'll start there. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that, that you please. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of, uh, of God. Just, just a side note here, the deeds of the flesh are evident. Don't fall into the trap that, that the, the goalposts can be moved or the, the boundaries can be moved. God is very clear what is, what's right and what is wrong. And practicing these things, you'll, you'll not enter the, the, the kingdom. But on the flip side, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. A number of those things we've been talking about in Galatians. I mean in Colossians gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. There is no law that can produce those things. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit or walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Brethren, if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each will bear his own load. The one who is taught in the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, and the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of, of faith. So the true purpose of Christian freedom and Christian liberty is the essence of a believer's commitment to, to the local church. You hear that over and over. And beginning in chapter 5, verse 1, Paul makes an appeal to stand firm in this, 
in this position of freedom. And he springboards into this section. Verse, verse 1, it was for freedom. Galatians 5.1, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and don't be subject again to the yoke of slavery, which is another term for the, the Mosaic Law Code that he's been talking about. And Paul has argued that in Christ we are free from Moses. And he has shown the necessity of faith, by uh, uh, faith for justification. He's shown the inability of the law in this, in this letter. And he's also shown this new position that we have of sonship in, in Jesus Christ. And so he now says stand in that position. Don't be moved from that position. Don't go backwards. Don't look anywhere other than Christ. Um, and verses 2 through 12 is his personal appeal. And in verse 13, he comes back to this theme. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Further explanation, which is what we'll look at tonight, verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the contrast of that love is biting and devouring one another, which we talked ad nauseum about this morning bald chickens comes to my mind I don't know that I'll get that out of my out of my memory I don't want to peck one another there are five defining characteristics to freedom in God's son what is Christian freedom God defines it in in with with five features we looked at the first one there's a significant meaning of it or you were called to freedom uh, so a believer is called to the position of freedom and there's the purpose of freedom the second was uh, freedom's distortion. Verse 13, uh, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. There's the, the negative definition of freedom, what Christian liberty is not. And then third, which we covered last time, its basic nature is, is love. Um, but through love serve one another in verse 13. You were called to freedom, and freedom is not a base of operations for the flesh, but it is for the purpose of serving one another through, through love. And I said love has been a common theme lately in our passage, and Colossians appeals to it, Peter appealed to it. This word, it, it's used here, is with, a, with an imperative. It's, it's related to, to doing slave service to someone, and being a doulos, uh, to render slave service literally, but rather enslave yourselves to one another by the bondage of love. The shackles of love bind you in slave service to, to, to one another. The purpose of your emancipation is not for yourself, but, but for the serving of others through, through love. And don't just think of serving of others as, you know, serving in children's ministry. Although Matt would probably say right now that would be a great thing for you to do. Serving is, is putting the needs of others before yourself. Don't just think tangible things. It's, it's, uh, it's preferring other people. It's showing Christian tolerance like we, we saw this morning. It, it's forgiving. It's not just actions. It, it's the, you put other people ahead of yourself in whatever way that, that comes out. And, and Paul uh, says the... The, the object or recipient of that service is the church body. That's, that's the one another. It's a phrase used 56 times in the New Testament. Not believers out there, but people who sit next to you. And this service is, is through love. So you have freedom's position, securing God's Son, freedom's purpose. There's a boundary, it's not for the flesh, and it has a goal. Love motivated service to others. But it also has an essential purpose. God set you free from the Mosaic Law for a specific and essential purpose. Verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The essential purpose for your freedom in Christ is to serve one another in love. And verse 14 explains why. Why does God free us from the Mosaic standard and place us in the the sun free from it i think it's it's hard for us or harder for us to to think of the positive aspects of of the mosaic covenant we we hear law and we think bad we hear moses and we think bad 
um, my friend Boaz and being in Israel has helped me in, that, in, a, in a lot of ways. There's a lot of blessings that come from... They don't look at the, the, the Sabbath or, or Shabbat as a, as a negative thing. They like candles and they have the family over. It's like the weekly family meal and they pray and they sing. It's a, it's a joyous thing. There, there are lots of positive things that, that are there. So, so even if you think of it in positive terms, the, the, the feasts and, and things, why does God free us from, from all of that if, if there are good things, even good things that are part of it? Notice this, this verse starts with the word for. For, indicating that there's, this is further explanation of what Paul just got done saying. He's saying loving service toward others in the body of Christ actually fulfills the law. You've been freed so you can be bound to each other, so you can serve each other through love. And here he adds to that it actually fulfills the law. That loving service actually fulfills what God demanded from from the Israelites through Moses. This is exactly what Jesus says in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. After the Beatitudes, you remember Jesus says, Don't think I came to, to abolish the law. And the prophets. I did not come to do that. I did not come to abolish, but to what? To fulfill. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke, not one jot or tittle, shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. So, of course, Christ himself is the fulfillment of the law. But Christ allows the law to be fulfilled in you as, a, as an individual believer in your heart. Well, how? Well, Paul is explaining right here. It's through love, love in your heart, this this love service that comes from a transformed heart. He didn't come to destroy Moses. He came to fulfill what what Moses demanded. And Paul elaborates in, in verse 14. For the whole law, the entire law as a unit, is fulfilled in one statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what does that mean, love your neighbor as yourself? Well, it means that the, that statement is the end goal of the law. The details and religious duties it contains are not, but love is. That's the, the end goal, this, this loving of others, love-motivated service and care and putting other people in, in front of you. The entire essence, spirit, and core of the written precepts are summarized and fulfilled if kept in one statement, love others. That's distilled down to the the nucleus. Um, Paul quotes Leviticus 19.19 here. It's the same verse that Jesus quotes in Matthew 22.40 when he says, loving your neighbor as yourself is the summary fulfillment of of all of God's law. Matthew 22.40. On these two commandments, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. They're summarized. They're both saying the the same thing. Loving your neighbor as, as yourself is a summary fulfillment of the law. And love for your neighbor can only come from somebody who truly loves God. And as John tells us in 1 John, we can only truly love God because God loved us first and sought us out. So in essence, the, 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 the two commandments are, are inseparably connected, which is why Paul says it this way. Love expressed to others comes from love for God, and, and those two are, a, are a, a distillation of the Ten Commandments, the, the first half of the Ten Commandments is all about God. You know that God's before me. You don't take the Lord's name in vain. The second half of the Ten Commandments is all about how we, the commands toward one another. Not kill, not steal, don't covet. So he just, he just gives the end result here, Paul does. Love of fellow man. And only the transforming power of Christ in salvation can actually put that in your heart. Not an external legal code, an external 
legal code like the Ten Commandments, which are good in and of themselves, they, they can't put that in your heart. They can't transform the heart. They're impotent to, to do that. You can look at them and say, wow, that's good. Wow, I should do that. Wow, I don't do that. But, but they can't transform your heart. Which is why Paul starts defining Christian liberty in salvation words. You were effectually called to this position of freedom. And in this position, in God's Son, you've been set free from the Mosaic Law. And in that freedom, what, what, what you now have is not an opportunity to live however you want to live. You, you, you now have an opportunity to actually fulfill the law because the love of God is in your heart. And that comes out toward, toward others. That's supernatural. That's, that's not, you know, keeping the sacraments or praying or, or doing, you know, keeping the Sabbath or, or whatever else it is. But why is loving your neighbor the fulfillment of the, of the law? I mean, that sounds like a stretch at first. And maybe, I don't know, maybe that's because people kind of dumb it down into um, you know, these, these oversimplistic statements. You know, love God, love people. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But you kind of you hear that and then, then that just seems very simple. And you don't really contemplate what that, what that actually means. I mean, there's a lot of Old Testament in your, in your Bibles. There's a lot of law. I mean, can it really be that simple that love completes it, that love fulfills it? Well, Jesus said it did, so, so that's enough. But Romans 13.10 actually explains why. Why Paul make, can make this statement. He, he, he explains himself in this great epistle to, to the Romans. He says, for you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, covet. and if there's any other commandment, it's summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now notice he's in the second half of the Decalogue. There's about man here. This is not the, not the, not the vertical, but the horizontal. Adultery, you shall not murder, steal, covet, and if there's any other commandment, it's summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he explains himself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. He explains himself right here. The Bible says what comes out of a heart where love reigns in act and word will always be right. What did, what did Jesus say the opposite of that? It's not what goes in a person that defiles them, but what comes out of them. And where's he aiming? He's aiming at our, at our hearts prior to conversion. Without Christ in us, there is no love. There may be, you know, to the, the best of our human abilities, there may be human affections, there, there, there may be you know, a desire, a warped desire for good deeds or whatever it might be, but, but love like the love of God. God is love. What God is. That, 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 that is, 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 can't be manufactured by, by you. It's been, it's been removed. It's been marred in the, in the fall. That's broken in you. So God has to, has to put it in you. And without Christ, there is no love. But with Christ, that same book of Romans says the love of God, we've already been over this one in Romans 5, the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The picture there is like a spring that's just constantly bubbling up inside of you. You, you, have, been, you have been given a well. And when that happens, uh, when you operate out of that, a, a person does good to his fellow man. Or as Paul says here in Romans 13, love does no wrong. To his neighbor. Does no wrong. No wrong to his neighbor. Therefore, when love is operating in you, the law is fulfilled. When you're operating in, in love, you'll you will align with the with the the intent of the Mosaic commandments. You won't commit murder if you love someone. You won't lie to them. You won't covet their stuff. You won't commit adultery. Now will you always operate in love as a believer? No, <laughs> because that well, that spring is, is uh, coming up around uh, some rocks and some mud and dirt. We're just animated dirt, right? 
that's going to go back in the ground and we're going to be a new spiritual body one day. We, we still have a, a remnant of the fall, so no, we'll not always operate in love, but you have the capacity to, where before you didn't. And the answer when you, when you don't operate in love is not return back to the law, not double down on, on the law, which is what the Galatians were doing. They were turning it around, which is why Paul writes this letter. They were trying to fulfill the law by, by attempting to, to keep its written precepts, by practicing circumcision and keeping feasts. And, and that doesn't bring more love toward God or your neighbor. It can actually hinder those, those things. And it was opening up an opportunity for, for the flesh. And all the power of the the flesh all that will do is produce a savage situation which we'll see in the in the very next verse and that's the weakness of the mosaic law it cannot save and it cannot sanctify now again you hear that and you say yes i mean you've heard that your whole life you're a gentile imagine being a jew who was was steeped in this and it was good as far as they were concerned to, to hear that but the law cannot save and it cannot sanctify. Isn't that what Paul said in, back in Galatians 3, 21 and 22? Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. It's not like the, the law's bad and grace is good. The law's not contrary to the promises of God. That, may it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would have indeed been based on, based on law. But it can't. Scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise of faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who who believe. Christians, for the most part, you as Christians, know that the law can't save you. Now, you might fall into a ditch here or there, but you know instinctively the law cannot cannot save you. But where we often mess up as believers is, is we forget that the law can't sanctify us either. We start messing around with the, with the law to, to help us with sanctification. And that's what Paul pleads. Uh, Paul makes a plea in, in, in chapter 3. Now, does the law have some valid uh, um, um, revelation and illumination to teach us what is right and what is wrong in God's character? Yes, we'll get to that in a minute. But using the law, in order to sanctify ourselves or grow in, 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 in power is, is what the Galatians were trying to do. Turn back to Galatians chapter 3, verse, verse 1. Here's the, really where Christians fall. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being completed or perfected by, by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? Indeed, if it was in vain, so then... Does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracle and miracles among you do that by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? The hearing of faith, hearing of faith. So Moses, the Mosaic law could not bring life then and it cannot perfect now. Yet at other purposes. I think you can summarize those in, 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 in four, four areas. What was the purpose of the, the Mosaic law? Well, it was preparation for the, for the coming of Christ. Galatians tells, that as, tells us that as well. The, the law, the Mosaic law, was preparation for the coming of Christ. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to, to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law, was, law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ. So it, it was to prepare us for Christ so that we might be justified by faith in, in him. So preparation. The law was, was also to expose sinfulness. Here's Romans 3. We've already been through this passage. So it's for preparation to expose sinfulness. 
Now we know that, the, that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God because by the works of the law, no flesh will be, no flesh will be justified in his sight for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So the law exposes sinfulness. It's valid for, for that reason. It's valid to, to prepare someone to see their need. So that they can come to Christ. It's valid to expose sinfulness. And it's valid to reveal God's holiness. It's the third thing I'd say. It reveals who God is. reveals his holiness. First Peter. Because it is written, Be holy for I am holy. How do you know the uniqueness of God? Well, a lot of that is, is laid out in the Old Testament. It's laid out in the Mosaic, Mosaic Law Code. So it's for preparation, it's to reveal sin, it's to teach us who God is, and, and finally, it's to restrain sin. There is a restraining factor to, to the law, which is what Romans 13 says about human law, law for, for the street. It restrains, it doesn't transform. So 1 Timothy 1.9, realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous person, person who already has a transformed heart but for those who are lawless and rebellious for the ungodly and sinners for the unholy and profane for those who kill their fathers and mothers and mur- for murderers and it goes on so there's a restraining aspect that's, that's there so is the law bad? no mosaic law bad? no we'll actually see it in detail in Romans 6 and Romans 7 on the contrary the mosaic law actually gives a representation of God's character. Or, or you might say the, the, the eternal law of God. I mean, there, God had law before Moses, before Moses showed up on the scene. There was the character of God, what was right and wrong, his, his law, what, what issued forth from him. And prior to Moses, it just wasn't crystallized in the Ten Commandments or written in a covenant code. Here's where we dispensationalists can... can get too wooden and often get get messed up we think that that law equals the old testament and the new testament is lawless or as i heard it the jews were safe by the law in the old testament and they're saved by grace in the in the new like law's bad and grace is good clarence larkin and really heavy wooden dispensationalism but what Moses received was a representation of God's character and his will, which, which existed before and still exists today. God's character still exists today. God still has law today, even though Moses is, is, is not reigning over us. Christ is. God didn't change. And salvation has always been by grace through faith. It's always been that way. There was law in the garden. Genesis 2. The Lord commanded man, from any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you shall eat of it you will surely die. That's law. Command. In the Abrahamic covenant, which was 400 plus years before Moses established salvation by by grace alone, through faith alone, and and the promise. I mean, Abraham was a pagan. He wasn't a law keeper. And the promise came to him that the seed would come. There's three summary promises that that are there. There's a land promise. God promised a, a nation and a son, a seed through Israel. And there was a blessing. God promised, promised divine protection and blessing. Then the Mosaic Covenant came, which, which we get the Ten Commandments known as the Decalogue and many other stipulations, covenant stipulations in Exodus and Deuteronomy and Leviticus. It was a ripper, uh, written representation of God's eternal character, which is why you can still look into it as a, as a mirror today, which is why we, we, we still read our Old Testaments. They're valid in, the, in, in that way. And so the Israelites are now in this new phase where they are a people in the land, and part of the Abrahamic covenant is starting to be fulfilled. There's God's people went from Abraham and, and Sarah, Abraham, Isaac, and, and, and Jacob, and, and Joseph, and then it comes down to the, um, Joseph's uh, brothers and, 
you you now have them uh, Jacob and now you, you you have them in in Egypt and they go in about 70 people as a family and God uses Egypt as an incubator and they come out one to two million in the Exodus and you know all of that God raises up Moses to lead them out into the land and now God is going to go before them, meaning God, his presence is going to be with his people. That's different. So what is there to regulate a holy God who is a consuming fire? What is there to regulate this holy God in the midst of unholy people before the Messiah has come, before there's a final sacrifice for sin? Well, that's the sacrifices and the, and the law that's, that's there. But even with that written law code, we also find out from Romans that, that not, not all Israel was part of the covenant. Romans 9, 6 and Romans 9, 32 says that they did not pursue the law in faith, and so they were not true Israelites. What does a saved Israelite look like in the Old Testament? They were saved by grace. They were saved by faith, looking to God who would make provision, the promise of the, of the, of the Messiah who was to come. And then their obedience to, to God, their, their worship to God was being circumcised and going to the temple and keeping the feast. And they did that with, with a measure of joy. They did that out of obedience, faithful obedience. But not all Israelites did that. So the ones that didn't do that by faith weren't true Israelites, Paul says. And it's only faith in God's promise of grace that can transform a person and, and give them a heart like a new heart like God's. I asked the my brothers, elders, to pray this past week because I had a I got a phone call from our Jewish friend Boaz, and he called me really early in the morning. So there's a time difference, but that's odd for him to to him to call him. He's very broken over a very serious situation with his son and some trouble that he'd gotten in and. And somewhere in the call, he just he just he just says, there's, "I'm just hopeless. There's just there's just no hope. There's no hope for him. No hope for, for our family." And I was able to share with him once again. You're right. There is no hope outside of Christ. But in Christ, there there is hope. And I shared with him something that our other friend Minnow Kalisher um, sent to me. And it was about how a Jewish person understands their sin nature and depravity. How somebody who's raised around the law and the covenants and all of this, and they, they, they struggle getting this, this issue that they're born with a sin nature. And they're going to heaven because of, of, of what they do. And, and he did this great thing quoting Numbers 21 as proof that there is no hope in the, in the law code, in the Mosaic covenant. He said Israel, when Israel, number 21, that's the, the passage about the snakes. When Israel got tired of following, following God, God sent snakes in their, in their midst to, to punish them, to chasten them. And, and you know the story of the people pleaded with, with Moses uh, for him to, to go to the Lord on their behalf. And, and he did. And then the Lord gave a remedy. And the remedy was to look at a snake on a pole. That was the remedy. Look. Not do anything, not keep commandments, not offer sacrifices. Look to a snake on the pole. And the snake, Minnow says, the snake didn't come off of the pole and offer them antibiotics or, or anything else. I mean, it's just a snake on the pole. Look was the command. They were to look by faith. Believing God's word that if you do this, you'll live. And those who did were healed, and those who refused perished. It's the exact same story that Jesus shared with Nicodemus in, in John 3. When he asked how to be assured of heaven, and, and the Lord said to him, just like the snake, I too must be lifted up. And it wasn't by being a wise rabbi or keeping the law that Nicodemus would, would be saved or used by the Lord, but by looking by faith. The law, the Mosaic law, r remained until the seed should come. And that seed was Christ. And when the seed has come, now we look to him. He fulfilled the intent of the Mosaic law 
his coming fulfilled its purpose and that the change that that he brings in our heart allows the law's intent to be fulfilled in us by, by the love that, that's planted in us. What the Galatians were trying to add to, to Christ it was not the eternal precepts of, of God, but, but earthly practices, which were actually meant to point to what they already had. God says, no, you're, you're, you're missing it. The law was a means to an end, revealing and pointing to, to the one that you've already laid hold of. He, it's not the end. You might think of it this way. They were trying to play with the shadow of Christ when the real man is standing right in front of them. Just think about it. You're standing side by side with, with someone. The sun's to your back, and there's a there's the shadow, your shadow, and their shadow cast. And the there's the shadow of Christ, and the Galatians are trying to play with the shadow when Christ is standing right beside them. They, they kept looking at the reflection of Christ in the mirror of the Mosaic law when he was standing right next to them. And they only needed to turn around and, and look in the other direction. They, they had their back to God and their face toward, the, toward his law. But, but Christ came, before Christ came, I should say, the, the light of God shone over behind the, the figure of Christ and it cast a shadow on the earth and that shadow was, was like the Mosaic law and, and these were the covenant stipulations for living in the presence of a holy God prior to the Savior and, and if you paid close attention to the law you could make out Christ his figure was there but, but when he came he stepped into earth at the incarnation and the light of God now shines on his face and God says look to him look at him turn around and look to him not not the shadow that, that he cast in the in the past besides the purpose of of the shadow the, the law was, was to reveal god's holiness and without conversion you have no provision to keep it anyway so is a christian under the mosaic law the short answer to that is no romans 6 16 we are not under the law romans 7 we die to the law, Romans 10, 14. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. But God's law still exists. Why is a Christian under the Mosaic law? Because his purpose has been fulfilled. But we are under the law of God in principle. I mean, Paul in this book will even talk about the law of Christ. And that law never changes. Why are we not under the Mosaic Covenant? Because it's substandard for a spirit-indwelled believer. And it's no longer necessary. You have in your heart the fulfillment of the law. What the law aimed at is now in you, which is love. And that moves you to care for, for your neighbor and to put other people in front of yourselves and in your own desires. In the Son, we have freedom from Moses, but this freedom is not ourselves or our flesh but to serve one another in love which does fulfill the law of God for love does no wrong to 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 another um, that operating that way will, will keep you from a grave danger in the in the body of Christ which we touched on even this morning here's the the fifth and final defining characteristic this one won't be as long it's the potential danger which is abusing others. Look at verse 15. But, notice this is a contrast. Verse 14 starts with four, which is explanation. This is a contrast. But, if you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by, by one another. But if, it presents a possible condition that may or may not happen, but it's potential. This is what is possible if you operate in the flesh and not the spirit. Which is what Paul will explain next, the works of the flesh. Flesh has bad works, the spirit produces his fruit. If you bite and devour one another. The picture here is like a National Geographic special where, where the, the, the lion pride gets a hold of the wildebeest. The words were used in, in Greek for wild animals engaged in a fight to the death, ripping and tearing and consuming one another. It's a little more graphic picture than, than chickens pecking 
This is ripping and tearing. Now, now get this. We have come from loving one another to devouring one another in two verses. And what flips the switch between the two is properly understanding Christian freedom or Christian liberty. And remember, the one another here is equated to, to the local church, fighting and devouring one another. God is saying that's what a church looks like with people that are on the same pew but, but don't serve one another in, in, in love. And again, we talked about Christian tolerance and graciousness this morning. Frankly, we're blessed. I had zero of you in mind when I was preaching that that, that passage. I had myself in mind and and just in general. But we are we are blessed. I mean you're you're outstanding. You seek God, you apply his word and, and that's not the case everywhere. You you you're you're normal. You have a, a peck here or there, but, but there's not a lot of bald chickens running around in Timberlake and I'm thankful for that. I had a cartoon someone gave me one time that, that had a sign that said, Beware of killer sheep. And it had this, this, this sheep with big teeth on it. And there are some churches that that really ought to hang outside the, the, the door instead of beware of dog, beware of sheep. And it's sad whenever you, you see things like that, even names of churches like, like the ones called Unity Baptist Church and they've split six times. Or Friendship Baptist Church, and, and you couldn't pay for a hello there uh, if, if you wanted to. The Lord says we've taken his name. We're Christians. Little Christs. And if there's any place that we should act like him, it ought to be in the church. And the opposite of living for love is, is living for self. And rather than doing no wrong to another, a person who lives in the flesh will bite and devour and that's what this verse says or you could say it another way a lo the loveless life in the church is lived on the level of animals freedom operating in the flesh destroys it eats people listen whenever you you hear of a church split or division you can be sure people violated this truth It'll almost always be over doctrine or something like that, but it's never about the doctrine. It's almost always about people getting their way or something that's, that's operating on the, on, on the heart level. You say, Pastor, it's hard to give myself away. It's hard to love people. You're wrong. It's actually impossible apart from God's Spirit because your flesh remains which is what Paul will, will teach us next. Look, if you would, at verse 16. Watch how he moves right from verse 15 about biting and devouring. And now here's another contrast. But I say, because we don't want to do verse 14, or 15. We don't want to tear each other apart like wild animals. How do I keep myself from that? But I say, walk by the Spirit and you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. What's the desires of the flesh? Bite, devour, tear. And you, you, you walk by the Spirit. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit. And the Spirit against the flesh, they're in opposition to one another. You, you can't have a little flesh and a little spirit. You yield to one or the other. So that you may not do as you please. But... If you're led by the Spirit, you're, you're not under the law. The law can't produce that. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, and there's a big, long list. They're plain. And I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you in verse 21, that those who practice, habitually practice such things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. They're, they're, they're not God's people. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. The very thing that you and I need to fulfill the law, the very thing that, that, that expresses the law is written on our hearts comes from the Spirit. The Spirit produces love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. And it's His fruit. It's not yours. You can't work this up. This is His Spirit that does, this, does that in you, yielding to His Spirit. 
filling yourself with, with the Word of God, renewing your mind day after day, time after time, is what yielding to the Spirit looks like. And as you yield to the Spirit, then the Spirit produces more and more of His, of his fruit. Um, go command a tomato plant to bear bigger, redder, riper tomatoes. See how, how well that, that, that gets you. The tomato plant's not, not sitting there grunting and groaning and, and straining and, and, and it gets bigger and bigger. A tomato plant produces tomatoes. The soil and the environment around it causes those things to grow or otherwise. The same thing for a believer. The fruit in your life, this fruit, is produced by the Spirit of God in you and the environment. Do you water it? Do you feed it? Will will help determine the size of the of the fruit, which is your part in sanctification. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It's no we're no longer a slave to those things. That's what that means. And if we live by the Spirit, we keep in step by the Spirit. So it is a uh, military term. Stay in line and in cadence with the Spirit. We live by the Spirit, meaning line up with the Word of God. Let us also walk by, by the Spirit. If we've been made alive by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us, let us also follow what the Word says. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another and being one another. And then it, then it moves. And so you have freedom's position. It's in God's Son. Freedom's purpose. Committed service to one another in your local church and freedom's provision. What has God given you to do all that? He's given you the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for your word and the truths that are there. I do pray that you would help us to love each other um, we are unlovely people at times, so it requires you working in us, and yet you've given us everything that we need. You've given us a Bible, and you've given us your spirit. So help us to, to yield to both of those and um, bring you great honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.